You know, as we continue on our way through this uh, series on the complexity of relationships, I want to talk to you today about another thing that, that truly makes them complex. I want you to think of somebody in your life that um, you're jealous of or have envy for, somebody who maybe has achieved a little bit more than you, uh, somebody that maybe gets more breaks than you, uh, somebody for whom you've said, this isn't fair, why does she or why does he always get whatever, right? It's one of the insidious things that causes problems in our relationships because it takes a very healthy relationship and you add a little envy into the mix and all of a sudden it begins to disintegrate step by step. If you can't get that person or that thought or that kind of feeling in your mind, I'll help you out with this illustration. I want you to imagine in your mind right now the guy at the office that everybody truly loves to hate. This is the guy that everything goes right for him. I mean, everything. He gets the promotion, he has the biggest salary, he has the biggest car, the biggest house, the most gorgeous wife. His kids come home with the report cards, all A's. You want to throw away the report card of your kids, but not this guy. He just got back from the Caribbean cruise and has a tan in December. He just won the lottery for the second time. So you're driving down the road tomorrow morning and you notice off to your side that somebody's been pulled over for a ticket. And as you're driving by, you just kind of look over and you notice that the guy getting pulled over for the ticket is that guy. The question is, right now, what are you feeling? Is there any sense of satisfaction, any sense of gotcha? Because if there is, I want to welcome you to the wonderful world of envy. When you start resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life, it's nothing more, nothing less than envy. Truly, that is a definition of it. Let me say it one more time. When you start resenting God's goodness in others' lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life, that is truly the definition of what envy is. And to be honest, if we're going to be honest this morning, I think we should, we all struggle with it to different degrees. We struggle with it more sometimes and less at others, but we all struggle with it because we all know what that feeling is. In fact, it says in our society today, envy is one of those things that's actually encouraged. I mean, it's the way we have whole television commercials, a whole industry, marketing, that's based on this whole idea. We don't even look at it as a sin anymore, but may more of a way of persuasion. In fact, the whole purpose of television commercials is this. Buy this product and you'll be envied by all. All your neighbors will want to be you. Buy this, only $19.99, or whatever it is. I think it's $29.99 now. Things have inflated, whatever. But the reality is, you'll be the envy of everybody else as they cry. I read the other day a study on conspicuous consumptions, that people will actually buy inferior products if the products imply that they are expensive and if the products imply to the world that you are wealthy and that you can't afford it. It doesn't even matter if it's a good or bad product. The study goes on to say, if it has the certain name on it, it implies I can show off my wealth, status, and power, and I will buy it simply because other people will envy me. I have to go way back to high school to think of this, but we'd buy the polo shirts, remember? Well, only if you're 43, you'll remember. But we would buy this, and, and it was, you're like, cool, if you had the polo shirts. You know, you're like, wow, that's a cool shirt, man. Even if it would fall apart in two weeks, if you had the polo shirt, I mean, you were good. There was other brands that, but I can't remember, and I also want to start stop dating myself. Okay, so we're moving on. Because Envy says this, not only do I want my grass to be greener than yours, I'm going to pray all night that yours turns brown. I mean, that's how Envy works. So when does envy occur? It actually occurs everywhere, at home, school, work, church, you name it. The Bible is actually filled with examples of envy in the family. Sibling rivalry, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Leah and Rachel, Joseph and his brothers, on and on the list goes. There's just a lot of envy in families. For example, there are some of you right now that are dreading the holidays. Because you're going to go home 
And there's going to be that one really successful person in your family that's going to be there. And everybody knows that he's successful. And he wants everybody to know that he's successful. And you just don't want to be around that. You just don't know if you can deal with it one more time, him saying about the next deal he passed or where he just did his vacation. And that envy just drives you absolutely nuts. Envy at work is called professional jealousy, where doctors envy doctors, secretaries envy other secretaries, builders envy other builders, pastors even envy other pastors. In fact, I heard of a monk that Satan was trying to tempt. Couldn't get through, couldn't get through. He tried tempting him with lust, didn't work. He tried tempting him with anger, didn't work. He tried tempting him with greed, didn't work. Then all of a sudden, the, the, the demon got an idea. He said, I know, we'll just tell him that his brother made bishop. And that did it, you know. We envy at school, kids compare grades, clothes, toys, appearance, athletic ability. Everybody, it seems, struggles with envy to a certain degree or another. And so you're listening to this and you're saying, well, Pastor, what's the real big deal with envy anyway? I mean, everybody does it. It's the whole marketing industry. I mean, why is it that I should avoid it? And God goes this morning to give us three huge reasons why we should avoid envy. Number one, God calls envy a sin. It is not only, it's not, not neutral, it is a sin against God. God hates it. It's because of all these things why God hates it so much. One of the first things that envy causes is it causes the conflict that we have with others. Again, imagine that relationship. Go back to that relationship. They just got the promotion and you didn't. You guys are best friends. But all of a sudden now there's something a little bit in between you. It takes a healthy relationship and it begins insidiously to destroy it. And you begin to have conflict. James says this in James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, envy destroys relationships, even best friends. Friends have been friends for over 30, 40, 50 years. It's destroyed because one of them got special recognition or a promotion or achieved more or acquired more. And all of a sudden, because of envy, the fellowship in that relationship is just is broken. Remember when you were a kid, you played the King of the Hill? Anybody remember that game? Is it just me? Okay, I'm dating myself again. King of the Hill is this game, like, I'm on top of this, and you guys have to come knock me off. All right? And as long as I can keep pushing you off and I stay up here, I win. Well, we still play King of the Hill in offices all across America today. We say things like this, who's number one, who's in charge? And it causes conflict in our relationships. But it also causes other things. It leads us to sin in other ways, this envy does. Because imagine, again, go back to that relationship. They got some rec- Maybe they're getting married and you're not. All of a sudden, there's this envy between you. And it causes you to begin thinking different kinds of thoughts, unhealthy thoughts, sinful thoughts. Nothing causes us to lie, for example, more than envy does, right? You want to be envied. You want people to notice you. You want people to think that you're doing a good job. So when they come and they ask you, how are you doing? You eh, just embellish it a little bit. Yeah, how many people are you worshiping now, Pastor? Oh, just a little under a thousand, you know, seven hundred and ten under a thousand. But you know, just a little under a thousand. I mean, you don't know. I mean, you haven't been to our church lately, so you know. So you say stuff because you want people to think you're good, that you're doing something, and we embellish and we lie. It also causes other sins, gossip and anger and adultery and murder. You go through Scripture and you see that Cain killed Abel because of envy. Joseph was sown into a pit by his brothers because of envy. Scriptures say that Jesus was put on the cross by the Pharisees because of envy. I was reading about a high school girl lost a, a cheerleading election, all right, for the top cheerleader person or whatever. And she was so distraught and so envious of this person who won that she ended up murdering, murdering her. It's crazy what envy can lead you to do. It's the power of envy. It leads to other sins because I just can't tolerate when anybody else is number one and I'm not. And then envy as a consequence of those two and other things makes us miserable. 
It ruins our happiness. In Proverbs 14.30 it says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy just eats you up inside. It's one of those things. Envy is like a cancer. Again, you take a healthy relationship, insert envy, and all of a sudden you destroyed that relationship. When you're envious, you're hurting, you're only hurting yourself though, right? When you're envious, it's so self-destructive. When you're resenting God's goodness to other people and forgetting God's goodness to you, you're only hurting yourself. That's why today I think a lot of really depression is internalized envy. It's anger at your, at not achieving certain things. And you hear phrases like this, it's not fair. How come he gets all the breaks? How come I never get anything like that? And envy causes us to get more and more depressed. We play the victim role. Life isn't fair. Life is caving in. Everybody else gets the breaks. In fact, in the movie Envy, it's not really a good movie, but there was a movie called Envy. And this guy was driven crazy because his best friend created this um, thing that made poop disappear. Again, it's not a good movie. Don't go see it, all right? But he, was, he became fabulously wealthy, and his friend was watching all this and was driven more and more just insane by watching his friend's success. He became obsessed with his friend. He began fantasizing over and over about the demise of his friend, so much so that it ended up destroying his life. In fact, if I were to tell you they had a cancer on your back, most of you would go have the doctor look at it tomorrow and see, and see if you could cut it off. Well, envy is much, more, is much worse than that. It's much more destructive than that in your life. And so you need to start cutting it out, especially if it's taken root. Otherwise, it's going to destroy your relationships and, and so much of what's going on in your life. And you start looking at that and you say, Pastor, the, I know you say that, and a lot of stuff you say sounds easy, but the reality is we live in a very competitive world, and where do you even start getting, trying to root this stuff out? And God, God, in his grace and his love, he gives us four things this morning in Scripture that I think will really help us. And one of the first things that he gives us is actually the root. He says, resist comparing yourselves to other people. It's the root of envy. It's what causes all of it. I remember I've shared this story before, but my, when I was my last place, I was a pastor. I was just new into the, you know, out three or four years. I had my Saturn. It was my first just awesome car. I had tinted windows and air conditioning and everything. It was just an awesome car. And I loved my Saturn. It was really cool. And we moved into this neighborhood. It was just a kind of beginning. It was like the third house in the whole neighborhood. It was really cool. And then about the after year one, they put a more expensive neighborhood behind us. They still had to drive through our neighborhood, but it was more expensive. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm driving my Saturn, and now there's the Hummers that come through, and the BMWs, and the Mercedes, and all of a sudden, my, my car isn't as cool anymore, right? Because I want the Hummer. I've always wanted a Hummer. They're huge. I want an Escalade now, but those are just huge, awesome cars. And I want somebody to pay for my gas, too. That, I mean, I want, I want a lot of things. But anyway, so, so anyway, I was driving my little Saturn, and there's nothing wrong with my Saturn. It's awesome. But you start comparing, and it gets you into a world of hurt, a world of trouble. Second Corinthians ten twelve it says, "We do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise." God says, I'm, "If I'm comparing myself to somebody else, He says it's just dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you possibly do it? Because there's always somebody, right, that's going to be better than me, and I'm going to get jealous. And there's always somebody that I'm going to be better than, and I'm going to get prideful. And either way, I'm just going to get into trouble." And so I don't compare myself to other people because comparing is the root of all envy. And if you want to stop this envy, and the reason we'd want to stop it is because it destroys our relationships, and we've experienced that, we've got to break this habit of comparing ourselves to other people. I heard a story the other day, this guy was writing, it says, in the fifth grade for Christmas, I received a Stingray bicycle. It had the flared handlebars, the banana seat, the chrome on the back. I was ready to take on the world. I was satisfied, I was happy, and I was excited. 
After Christmas morning, we unwrapped our presents, and I hopped on my bike, and I rode down the street to my best friend's house, and he opened the door, and he had gotten the better model. My satisfaction went down the tubes. You know, you buy a new house, you're all excited because you saved up your whole life to get this house, and you got it decorated, and you're so proud, and you're so happy. When all of a sudden one of your friends invites you to their new house, and you go over, and it's got another 500 square feet, and it's got a better yard, and all of a sudden your satisfaction in your house goes down the tubes. Why? Because we begin to compare again. Comparison ruins and robs our happiness. Ruins our joy and robs our happiness. So Paul says this, Let everyone be sure to do his very best, for then he will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare himself with somebody else. You know, one of the interesting things about swim, I, I never followed it going up, but, but it's, it's just an interesting thing. You're always competing against yourself. It's kind of like golf. You, if you get your best score, it's, it's just awesome. If you get your best time, it's just awesome. Well, what's interesting is, though, is you'll see people, and they'll, they'll get to a race, and especially the ones that are new, right, to, to swim, they'll get so distraught and so, I mean, they'll be crying and they'll get all freaked out because they didn't win their race or their heat or whatever it is. They may have crushed their best time by five seconds, but they're, they're upset they didn't beat Nancy or Harry or whatever it is, right? The coaches, I think, do an amazing job at this. They try to, again, refocus it. They said, if you beat your best time, it was the best swim you've ever swam in your life. That's awesome. Be excited about it. And they try to get the kids just to focus on that. And if somebody else beats their best time, they may even beat you. Be excited for them and be an encourager for them. And I know in sports they don't always reframe things like that in a helpful way, but I I love the way that they're working with these kids so that you're excited and that you're excited for those that beat you as well as long because you're focused on getting your best time. Well, in a similar way, if we stop comparing... And, and God has blessed us with whatever it is, a best time or a new house or, or a Saturn or, or whatever it is, whatever the blessing is in your life, if we can learn to rejoice over our stuff, uh, the things, the blessings that God has given us and not compare so much to others, we'll have a lot more joy as we walk through life. We waste so much time looking around our neighbor's yards. We waste so much time looking at people's successes. God says, I want you to be happy with what I've given you. And then he goes on, just kind of build on it. He says, recognize your uniqueness. If I want to break the grip of envy in my life and not be unhappy all the time because somebody else has more, I must recognize my uniqueness, God says. In Psalm 139.13, he says it this way. You, God, created every part of me. You put me together in my mother's womb. Again, I want you just to think about that. God creates us all in mom's womb. It's an amazing beginning. He starts us even before we take a step on this earth. In other words, we have designer genes right from the very beginning and if you think about that, it's just God saying that you're unique, that nobody in this world will ever be like you, that there will never, ever be another person like you, that you're unique, so don't compare yourself. Envy is the expression, truly, to be honest, of inferiority. It's saying to the world, I don't like who I am. I'm insecure. Well, the real problem is just low self-esteem not appreciating what it is that God's giving you. There was a cartoon I came across that expressed this, and it goes like this. Ever since I was a little kid, I didn't want to be mean. I wanted to be Billy, and Billy didn't even like me. I walked like he walked, I talked like he talked, I signed up for the high school he signed up for when Billy changed. And he began to hang around Herbie, and he walked like Herbie, and he talked like Herbie, which just mixed me up. Now I began to walk and talk like Billy, walking and talking like Herbie. And it dawned on me that Herbie walked and talked like Joey, and Joey walked and talked like Corey. So here I am walking and talking like Billy's imitation of Herbie's version of Joey trying to walk and talk like Corey. And do you know who Corey is always walking and talking like? Of all people, Dopey Kenny. 
And that little pest walks and talks like me. God says, you've got to learn to accept your uniqueness. He created you uniquely and wonderfully. He created you on purpose. And there's nobody in this world that will ever be like you. In Psalm 139, 15, David says, God, you saw me before I was born. You scheduled every day of my life before I began to breathe. God shares with us in that verse that he has a plan for our lives, all of us. And Jeremiah goes on to explain that that plan is good. Now, it doesn't mean that everything that happens to your life is God's will. Certainly it's not. Sin is not ever God's will. And so if you sin against somebody else, you can't say, oh, that was God's will that I did that. Or if somebody sins against you, you can't say this, that that was God's will either. It also doesn't mean that everything that happens in your life is good. Partly because of the first thing I just said, but also because we've lived it and we know it. But God does promise that it all fits somehow into a plan. And that God takes even the bad things in your life, even the things that are dumb that you bring on yourself because of sin, and he puts them in the plan and he works somehow that plan for good in your life. And so I don't need to envy anybody else, to be honest, because God has a plan, a specific plan for my own life, a plan that he created me specifically for. And if I'm always trying to be somebody else, achieving that plan becomes a lot harder. But this plan has already settled before I hit the ground, and so I don't envy you and you don't envy me because each one of us has a unique plan that God has designed for our lives. And we are to make the most of what God gives us, he says in his word. It's our choice, though. It's not fatalism. It's just saying that I realize that even the problems that come into my life, that somehow God can use them in his general overall plan. So he says, realize that I created you to be you. Rejoice in you. Understand that you have a purpose. And then he goes on to another thing. He says, then rejoice, learn to rejoice in what you have. It's this idea of contentment. Now, having said that, I say that even though knowing in America we have a really hard time handling the success of other people, especially those that are close to us for whatever reason. We're taught to be number one, and so we can't stand it for somebody else to be number one because it means that we're not, and we don't like that. But when you are jealous, you just miss out on so much joy in this earth. You really do. I want you to think of it this way. God is going to do a certain number of things in your life that are just awesome, incredibly good blessings, and he's going to give them to you. And when the goodness of, your, of God is in your life, you go through that season of blessing or whatever it is, you can be incredibly grateful for that. And all of us have gone through those seasons of blessing, and we go, wow, this is just amazing. It's, God is so good. We love him for doing all this. If we remember that God's part of it, we do that, right? But life is not all good things. I think we can all acknowledge that. There are bad things that happen in your life, difficult problems, difficult things, pressure, stresses in your life. And so here's my point. If the only time that you can be happy in life is when good things happen to you, if the only times you can be grateful and joyful in life is when good things happen to you, then a major percentage of the time you're not going to be grateful or joyful. You're going to be depressed. On the other hand, if you can learn to be joyful for the blessings that God gives other people, you can learn to be joyful all the time. Let me give you a picture of this. For those of you who are parents and your kid succeeds, are you excited? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're like filled with pride. You're like, oh, they did it. Timmy did this or whatever. You, know, you get so excited. And, and grandparents, those of you that have grandkids, when your grandkids do something really cool, are you excited? Yeah, you can't stop talking about it. It's just like the coolest thing. We talk over and over about enlarging that circle of people we truly love and care for. It has to be more than just our kids and grandkids that we get excited for when they succeed. We've got to somehow extend that to our neighbors and to people at church, people that we work with, to, to like those kids that are swimming, right? To get truly excited when somebody breaks their best time. 
But we can only do that if we begin to love and care for those people, enlarging that circle of those that we truly care for. Instead of having it always be about us, the reason we get resentful, right, is because it's about us. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Some of you have wanted to get married or some of you have wanted to get remarried for a long time now. It just hasn't happened for one reason or other. And all of a sudden your best friend calls you and they're getting married. You hear it over the phone and your stomach starts to tie in knots and and you're just not happy, you're resentful. Oh, that's, that's just great, you say, but you don't even want to go to the wedding. You say, why her, God? Why not me? Why her? You're not being fair, God. I've been waiting for so long, it's killing me. Jealousy comes in, it creeps all over you, and it crushes your spirit, it crushes your, whole, your soul. Your heart begins to shrivel. And you're not hurting her, and you're not changing the circumstance. You're just saying, I'm choosing to be really unhappy right now, because I don't know what else to do with this. And so the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. And every time you hear a good thing, a baby being born, a wedding, a promotion, whatever, you can either rejoice or you can resent. You start asking, how can I learn to rejoice more because this resentment's killing me? And the Bible's very clear all the way through about this. It's just really hard. And it's this, it's kind of enlarging the circle. Jesus says it this way, love your neighbor as yourself. It's putting that little thing that we know so well into practice. It's actually loving our neighbor, caring about their success, caring about their well-being. Then you can rejoice in what you have, and then you can learn to rejoice in what they have, and then you're just going to be happy all the time. And that'd be cool. And then guy goes on to this last thing, and he says, also, I need you to learn to refocus on my plan for your life. See, ultimately, this is the final secret for overcoming jealousy. Be so focused on God's unique plan for your life that you don't have time to worry about jealousy, that you don't have time to worry about criticism, that you don't have the time to worry about how God's blessing this person or that person in your life. You're just so focused on what God made you to be. Truth is, any time I, I start getting jealous, I get distracted. And my focus gets off God's plan, God's sovereignty, God's will, God's, God's, all the stuff that God wants to do through my life. And it takes it off God and it puts us on this other person, Right? And I get distracted. And Jesus says, whoever allows himself to be distracted is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's how serious this is. Not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And so a great prayer to pray in the midst of those times is Psalm, 120, or Psalm 119, verse 37, where the psalmist writes this, and I love it. God, turn me away from wanting any other plan than yours. See, the bottom line here is that you don't need to be like anybody else. God created you to be you on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. On purpose. He's put people in your life on purpose. He's given you certain skills and abilities on purpose. And God just wants you to be the person he made you to be. And ultimately, that is a person who is loved and forgiven always by an amazing God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.